So in a way, you can say just 65,000 people can get an H-1B. Now take that one line further and approximately only 10,000 people can get a green card from a particular country each year. So whatever you think the backlog is right now, unless anything changes, it's only going to get worse. So everybody, every immigrant right now, especially immigrants from India, need to have like a low-key masters in immigration policy and all the different ways that they can make sure that if they want to stay in U.S., they are able to. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Today, we have another very interesting guest joining us. His name is Varun Nagandhi. And here at the Immigrant Experience in America, we're highlighting all month of May for Asian American Heritage Month. So we're highlighting more men because we've had so many ladies on the show. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to see if I can find more men, like I'm being very deliberate to bring more men on. So I'll try to do that this year. Um, But uh, Varun is from India. He is a partner at Engsim, right? And on LinkedIn, he says, I help immigrants boost their income in three ways at Beyond Grad. And he's just launched a course. So we're happy to have him on today. We'll be talking about his journey and as well as what he does to help other immigrants out there. So welcome, Varun. Thank you for having me, Simone. It is great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell us more about your professional bio and and what's going on with you right now. Yeah. So like you said, I'm from India. I came to the U.S. in 2010 to do my master's in automotive engineering. And since then, I've been working in the industry as an automotive engineer. Somewhere around year eight or year nine into my work experience, I thought that I had spent a lot of money on self-development courses, but my journey of growing my career had been quite lonely and challenging. And I didn't want my fellow immigrants who were coming to the US to feel the same way, which is why I created Beyond Grad, a online website, online business, where I teach people how to boost their income, by people I mean immigrants, uh, boost their income in three ways either get promoted work, uh, jump, uh, job jump, get a land a step up job, and then start earning on the side. And that's those are the three different tracks that I'm helping people with. And I have already created a course on how to get promoted as an immigrant. And then I will potentially make more courses on the other tracks in the coming years. Very good. Very good. Uh, Anything personal? I know you're a family man and uh, maybe a bit about your journey. I think you arrived to the U.S., but now you're in Canada. Can you speak to how that journey kind of unfolded for you? Because I know there's a lot of international students, H-1B students who come over and the reality of it is is not as people may perceive it to be. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I did move from the US to Canada with my wife and my elder daughter at that time. Since then, we've had a second daughter. So we had a family of four. I have three girls around me, so I'm covered in estrogen, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but yeah, I moved to Canada because as an H-1B and as an Indian who has his green card under the EB-2 category, there is an insane backlog where I don't know when I'm going to get my green card. I joke that I might get my grandchildren before I get my green card. <laughs> and it, it is probably uh, very true for the majority of the Indians who kind of fall under the EB2 category. And it is very challenging to do anything entrepreneurial, especially outside our field of study on an H-1B visa. So I took the decision to move across the border I was living in north of Detroit, and Detroit is at the border of US and Canada. I chose, chose to go to the other side of the border on a Canadian PR. Now I can work on H1, but I can also have my entrepreneurial projects that I have on the side. Okay. And things have been going well. You've moved up in the immigration side of things, and you're more settled with your family, right? You don't have to be concerned about waiting forever for a green card because you've achieved that on the Canadian side. Yeah, I have. The, the advantages have been just relaxed mental security of not being worried to be on H-1B. And even though I'm at a position in my job where I can see like a layoff or a bad time for my company coming from a mile away, yes. not a lot of immigrants have that luxury. And once you are laid off or, or fired from your job, you just have 60 days to find a new one. That bought some mental insecurities for me. My wife was dependent on my visa. Uh, so that was another dependency that I didn't care for. So now we are on the Canadian side. I have a PR, she has a PR, and then we are actually in line to get a citizenship after having lived here for more than three years, whereas the whole process in the U.S. is still quite in limbo right now. Right, right. And when you say PR, you're referring to, for our listeners who are wondering, it's permanent residency. Permanent right. residency, which is equivalent to the green card in the U.S. What color is it? Ooh, <laughs> you know, ours is uh, called it's, green. It's white, white and red, I guess, like, like Canadian flag. Oh, it's white. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, very interesting. I don't think I've seen one ever. But congratulations. I mean, you've launched your course, you got your permanent residency, your wife as well, experiencing much more emotional stability and everything else and things are falling into place. So that's a good story for people to know that it is possible when you leave your birth country, venturing out for study or better job opportunities that there, mm -hmm. there it's, people do make it happen, right? Absolutely. And I think the, those of us who came in 2015 or before 2015, we had the luxury to just land in the U.S. and figure it out. Whereas now, with the amount of backlog that is on the H-1B, forget even the green card, which is a step beyond H-1B, right. the new international students, unfortunately, don't have that luxury. They need to have 
like a low-key PhD in immigration policy in the U.S. to kind of figure out what their options are if they can't get through the H-1B lottery. What are their entrepreneurial dreams going to be? How are they going to be affected if they can't get the green card uh, quickly? So they don't have the luxury that we came with. Uh, I would have wished a lot of immigrants in my age also talk about this, where we would have come with more of an open eye on what it would look like 10 years after being here. Um, you come with a lot of chutzpah, you come with a lot of zeal in a new country, thinking you'll figure it all out. Unfortunately, I don't think the international students who are coming now or young immigrants have that luxury. And I'll just give you one stat is the international students coming to the US have been over 900,000 per year for a last a lot of years. Wow, just international students, just not international even other students. categories of immigrants. No. Whoa, I had to look that stat up. Exactly. Wow. And but then the H1Bs given out per year, only 85,000. And on the top, the 20,000 on the top of that 85,000 are just people who are coming here for their master's program. So in a way, you can say just 65,000 people can get an H1B. Now take that one line further and approximately only 10,000 people can get a green card from a particular country each year. So whatever you think the backlog is right now, unless anything changes, it's only going to get worse. So everybody, every immigrant right now, especially immigrants from India, need to have like a low-key uh, masters in immigration policy and all the different ways that they can make sure that if they want to stay in U.S., they are able to. Right. And when you say a low-key PhD, you're basically saying in layman's term, be well-read on the topic, do your own research, talk to people, find out avenues that you can possibly make it through this, whatever your goal is, right? You really Absolutely. have to just stay reading and stay on top of the laws and the changes because they change all the time. Yeah, an analogy I can use is for personal finance, if you want to get better at personal finance, you can look at three, four videos and get get some information from it. That's what we did. Watch some three, four videos and we landed here. But now if I want to do personal finance and, and things are difficult, I might need to read five books on it or follow five people on LinkedIn who are writing daily about this topic that's the intensity with which you need to tackle this problem and the fact is i just heard it recently on the national public radio npr that uh india i don't know if it's official yet but i think the un was reporting that india surpassed china as the country with the most population right the highest population yeah. in the world yeah we knew that day was coming <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us who come here from India kind of are, are in a weird place where we feel really proud about our country, where we think that, okay, that's going to be the place where the next development is going to happen or where the next 
at least a superpower table or a country that is going to be at the table known as a superpower. That's where it's going to happen for for India. And and we are here. So it kind of is a mixed feelings, but really proud of what's been happening because there's a lot of young population. They are very entrepreneurial, very much have a go-getter attitude. And in a way, we've had democracy for many, many years now whether it's flawed democracy or whatever you can say, that democracy has been really important in helping us get to this point as well. Speaking of India, what part of the country are you from? Like, give us a bit about what life was like for you before coming to this part of the world. You know, food that you ate, what part of the country, language you speak, and, you know, what is it like? I've never been to India. It's been on my list. I really want to make it there because I love Indian food, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But I hear there's a coastal part that's just lots of coconuts and spicy food. And, of course, I'm looking forward to visiting one day. Yeah, it is very cool. You can think of India as as like Europe. We are a country of a lot of different cultures, a lot of different languages. Like if I come from a city called Mumbai, which is in Maharashtra, the region language is Marathi. But if I go one state north, one state south, and one state on the east, the language changes completely. I'm not talking about dialects. I'm talking about like a change in language. So it's like Europe. We are very diverse in terms of our languages, cultures, uh, religions, everything. And our strength comes from diversity. But being in Mumbai is like the New York equivalent. It is the melting pot. Like New York is the melting pot for the whole world. Mumbai is like the melting pot for everybody from India all the cultures, all these people. So I saw a very cosmopolitan upbringing while while growing in Mumbai, schooling in Mumbai. And my parents were atypical in the sense that they were very forward thinking. They didn't put a lot of pressure on me when it came to my studies. Sports was always uh, encouraged. I've take, I've done I've danced all through my schooling system. I've done, taken acting classes, which not a lot of parents kind of encourage back home. And um, so I had a very different upbringing, as I would say, which is not stereotypical Indian upbringing. And that gave me a lot of confidence uh, in, in my life, even before coming here. I was culturally to a point where I could relate to everybody in America easily because my friends would joke that my parents were American being being in India. They were like an American parents. That's what we saw in pop culture. And they were like, dude, your parents are like this. Mm-hmm. So I had that kind of an upbringing. And again, in, in a city, like if you are from a New York type environment, you have a different mindset and different level of confidence. And I think Mumbai, I am grateful for that about my city instilled a lot of confidence and go-gettership that I've been relying on ever since I've been here. Right. And I had a, another one of your friends slash colleagues, Aditi, who yeah. was on and kind of gave us a bit about her international student experience and, and so forth. And so I'm, I'm thinking that Mumbai is kind of like New York, where you have like a bit of food from all over the country, like 
you know, lots of uh, street food, lots of little corner shops where you have really good, authentic food. Is yeah. that kind of like what you're saying? Exactly. Street food is a culture. You can get you can get the same dish on the road for 10 rupees and you can go to like a fancy restaurant and pay 100 rupees for the same same dish. It's and it's pretty good in both ways. I mean, yeah, you need the experience maybe changes, but that's the that's the culture in Mumbai. And I grew, I am part of like a community called Gujarati. We speak a different language. We are a little entrepreneurial in our in our lifestyle. When it comes to food, that's our life. So we love food. We love enjoying with our family and we love eating sweets. So that's that's the culture that I'm from. Okay, okay. I think I interviewed someone before and I'm remembering slightly, I think it's kind of like the part of the agricultural part of the country, right? You guys yes. are big farming and lots of uh, healthy eating. Are you vegetarian, vegan? I am vegetarian. Okay, right. That's what I was remembering from that. Lots of spices and, and seasoning yeah. and so forth. Yeah, spice is spice is the is the kind of essence of Indian food. And I don't mean spicy as in hot. I mean like just a variety of different spices which are which is are flavorful. Right. So I'm thinking cumin or cumin. Yeah. Um yeah. what's the other one that's kind of like uh, in Jamaica it's curry powder, but you guys use the root of that. What's the name of it? It's kind of it's yellow. Turmeric? Turmeric. Yeah, right. it's all Here's the rage. Tea. It's all Here's the rage tea. right now, which is surprising. I'm sorry? It's all the rage right now, like in the fitness industry. And yes. every Indian auntie is like, we know this from so many years. <laughs> right. But I suppose the folks with the money have finally caught up to it. <laughs> right. right. It's kind of like when quinoa came out on yeah. the market a few years ago and people had been eating all along, but all of a sudden it's this hip fat thing, right? Everybody's buying quinoa. So now turmeric is the same thing. Exactly. No, but we've been using it forever. We make it into yeah. our own island curry. We yeah. use it, actually the powder from the store to just use it to season our foods. And we mm -hmm. also drink the tea. And we mm -hmm. always know, knew that it was quite healthy to do so. Yeah. I am I was pleasantly surprised to hear how much influence Indian influence is on Caribbean food, like rotis and, and stuff like that. I was pleasantly surprised to hear that because as an avid cricket fan, I enjoy all the West Indian players. So to to know that West Indies or or the island countries have had influences from India as well, it was like a great uh, pleasant surprise for me. Yes, it is because you know there's an Indian in the history of the of the countries. I guess after I mean no, it's no surprise after slavery there was indentured labor that came over from India, and then yeah. there's a there's some folks that come in the more recent years as like business owners, you know, like jeweler they have jewelry stores. The Chinese mm -hmm. do the grocery stores is what I've noticed, and then but mm -hmm. Indians I tend to see like in the 
healthcare field like doctors or you know and a few grocery stores I've noticed on the island so it's, there's a big influence on the food it's kind of like this fusion of like the African Chinese Indian and and Assyrians actually also came to the island so it creates a quite a very interesting blend nothing like it to me <laughs> yeah I know there's a lot of people who love to make in food but I yes nothing like it to me I'm looking forward to an upcoming trip where I could just be like Oh, in the middle of all of that. Moving on, talk a bit about India then. So what was your experience like, Varun? Like, you know, coming over as an international student, living in the U.S. and trying to find your way. I know there's, there's, I see a lot of Indians here. So I know the numbers seem kind of daunting. Like there's so many people in the pipeline, but I see um, a lot of Indians around, like in the D.C. area, in the big cities, in like Atlanta area. There's still Mm -hmm. a lot of you guys. So I imagine you had somewhat of a support system, right? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, the university that we came to, I was first of all surprised to hear that the suburbs in the U.S., you need to have a car to survive. Without a car, you can't survive because there's very limited public transportation. But we had such a great alumni system for Indian graduates that uh, the seniors would have like an Excel sheet then they would give us rides back and forth from colleges. All the seniors who had cars, they would give us rides to grocery stores. So when we came here, we were again very grateful for the University of Michigan Dearborn. Uh, our club is called Indian Graduate Student Association. They were awesome at helping us get acclimatized to the culture in the U.S., uh, the way people move from point A to point B, which is just mainly by cars. And it was it was surprising. One ex- example I'll give you is that I had hair back then. <laughs> so when I wanted to go for a haircut, I had to ask a senior to say, hey, I, are you thinking of going for a haircut anytime soon? Then I can tag along. And it was it was a weird experience for me because in Mumbai, if I had to go to my haircut place, it was I could use my bike, I could walk, I could take the bus, I could take the rickshaw, or I could take a cab. There were so many options. I was so more independent. But that was an example of how life was. At the beginning, it was a little bit tough being coddled all my life uh, because we stay with parents, grandparents. So we never have to do a lot of the household chores. And in India... I came from a middle-class family, but we were able to afford a lot of help with like cooking and cleaning. So I never had to do any of that. And suddenly now you are at a point where you have to do every single thing, which was an awesome experience for me. At the same time, it was difficult to kind of get into, get the groove off. But my respect for my parents and the help that the support staff that we had just grew multiple times because now I could actually experience how much effort goes into each and every small household chore even. Oh, very good. And as a man, oh my gosh, I think all the ladies are going to love that, right? I 
spoke to somebody who's originally from Nigeria, living in the UK and temporarily in Germany, she said the same thing because when she's back home, they have helpers and things like that. But then when she's in the UK having her children and working, she did it all. She went to work. She drove the children everywhere. She was cleaning her home. And I mean, it's this. Yeah, I, I can relate to that, too. But you learn so much. Right. And you appreciate all the effort that your community put in and and so forth. So it's quite eye-opening for people who are, you know, thinking that you're coming over here. It's not mm -hmm. a bed of roses. This is a place where you have to put your hands to the wheel, as they say, and roll your sleeves up and get to work. Oh, yeah, right. absolutely. If, if there is no other choice, there's no other choice. You have to do do stuff. Right. Very good. Very good. So we we talked a bit about the challenging situation of the immigration. Were there any other challenges that came along outside of the immigration and then finding transportation? Luckily, you had the support through your Indian community. But were there any other challenges like culturally adjusting to a different world? Um, like you said, like you were able to just move around seamlessly in Mumbai. And now yeah. all of a sudden you have to depend on people. Like the reality of, of that is, you know, is real. Yeah, absolutely. In my, in, my, in my graduate studies, so I'm just talking about things. I'm not, haven't started working yet. But in my graduate studies, I think the courses came a bit easier to me. I was able to cope up with the education system and, and the way uh, assignments were graded, the way tests were given, they were a lot more in a zone that I liked, which was application-based rather than just mugging up data and mugging up texts uh, that a lot of theoretical subjects in India tend to be. It, things have changed a lot lately. Uh, so that that part was easy. I think the other challenging part, I would say, was to be um, myself, just be myself at in school. So when I am with my crowd, it was very easy to be myself. But when I was in, let's say, a Formula SAE team, it is like a student body at, at the university, we make race cars and, and drive that across the US. It was a lot more challenging to be confident in my voice. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying confident in the language. I think I came in very much acclimatized to the American way of speaking. I didn't, I never put on an American accent or code switched. I didn't feel the need to do that, but I don't judge anybody else who does that as well. But to be confident in my voice about, okay, I think I know this, or I think I can do it, be confident in my skills was challenging for me. But again, I think the more you put yourself in uncomfortable situations, the more the uncomfortable becomes comfortable. So I was able to finally get there, but that was another challenging part. Yes, yes, yes. I can imagine. Interestingly, I was listening. May is Mental Health Month, right? Mm -hmm. And you hear a lot of talk about mental health issues, but for me, I have really been reading a lot about the immigrant experience and things that we go through as immigrants, you know, mm -hmm. when we leave our birthplace or that place where we were naturally just organically uh, easy to move around in, right, mm -hmm. seamlessly. 
But when we come to a new place, there's a lot that happens to us mentally, right? Mm -hmm. One big thing is the, the talk about imposter syndrome, where you don't really feel it's difficult for you to just kind of feel like you're worthy of being in this new environment and really showing up as your authentic self. It can be really tough for a lot of people. And yeah. sometimes it takes time for you to build up that confidence that you need. Right. So yeah. I completely get that. There's a lot of things that immigrants deal with that is, is not being highlighted and spoken of. And that's why we exist as a podcast is to talk about it, you know? Yeah, it is. I wouldn't say sad is not the right word, but it is unfortunate that when we are coming here, we look for a lot of external validation. Mm -hmm. It can come through grades. It can come through professors. It can come through your teammates in other uh, student organizations. It definitely comes through from your managers and, and peers at work. But that external validation is something that I think a lot of us need at the beginning. And if I can, another reason why I am starting Beyond Grad is to give confidence to people like me that when I see the kind of work that immigrants do and produce at the workplace, I think we need to be more confident in how we portray that work and then just have that self-worth that we belong. I want people to get that earlier in their careers as compared to when we got it in our careers uh, while working, slogging and, and all of that. I think I need, I want to meet them earlier and say, dude, you're doing great work. You are, you need to be more confident. You need to have that self-belief that you belong in an American work culture. And in fact, you can thrive in it. Yes. And as our previous conversation brought out, you know, those soft skills that it's kind of we as immigrant, you know, we focus on like other things, right? The house yeah. and the car yeah. and supporting families and savings. Yeah. But it's important for personal development that you really grow yourself and deal with whatever issues you may be having. I can imagine anxiety is a big issue in the immigrant community that a lot of people aren't talking about. Yeah. Anxiety about living in a new place, like you have an accent and how do you thrive here with that accent? Figuring yeah. out the whole system, a lot of unspoken rules. Yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out as you navigate here. So there's a there's a lot there regarding those soft skills that you're really trying to tap into help people to, you know, invest in that. It, it's really important for you to get that confidence as you're referring to right now. Yeah, and it's not something that we talk with each other about. We don't share our anxieties. We don't, we might, chat a lot about which stock to invest in, but we don't chat about why we are not growing in the workplace and what we think is the challenge or, or what effect immigration is having on us. Uh, even when we meet as friends, we tend to chat a bit more, which is about fun things. We, we rarely go into things that are a bit more heavy, but then leave us with those heavy feelings just within ourselves and within our our small family so i don't know what the answer to that is but i definitely see it as 
a thing that all of us go through. Yes, definitely. And there's me, there's you, there's Aditi who's starting her own support group. And there's several other people who are out there who are coming into this immigrant experience space and really trying to provide support. I've met a few therapists, one specifically that I met, I learned about yesterday, who specifically address like some of the issues that first generation immigrants go through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's challenging and it can really take a hit on your confidence and and the way you show up as your authentic self. And I understand why some people might rush to assimilate faster because they they want to feel accepted and it's not easy to feel like you're this other in right. this other box, right? And that yeah. you're not a part of or you don't belong here. You, you're foreign, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're a non-citizen. You're you're a yeah. foreigner. Um, it's not an easy feeling. And so, but I think immigrants provide so much value and energy and innovation wherever yeah. we go because we have a goal when we move for the yeah, most we are, Yeah, we are driven. We are driven by our aim, which is why we are here. And we are driven also by our fears, which is why we are we are working a, a bit more than somebody who does not have that fear. Like somebody who's a citizen does not have the fear of being left out of a job and having to sell everything that they've built and go to go back to their home country. If somebody has that fear, it's going to drive them further to make sure that they are able to keep their journey moving forward. So that the aim as well as the the dog running behind you kind of helps us go further, faster, and, and be more driven in our in our work as well as everything outside of work as well. Join us again next time for part two of this episode. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe, and share with your friends, family, and circle of influence.